Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Kyle. And we, we have, have issues. issues. So our guest today is going to be uh, new Colorado Springs City Council member Brian Risley here to talk a little bit about, hopefully we'll get to ask him a little bit about what it's like being on council, but also want to talk about the the water and annexation rules. So I'm really looking forward to it. Well, yeah, and I'll tell you, Kyle, no disrespect to any former council members or any of the other current ones, but uh, Brian is just an incredibly insightful, thoughtful, intelligent guy, and I think that he is a great addition to the Colorado Springs City Council. Yeah, I've known him for several years, and I, I was really happy when he announced that he was going to run. He's been on involved in you know, county planning commission. I worked. I was on citizens transportation advisory board with him. Uh, I think he just has a great understanding of the community. So, really, uh, really anxious to talk to him. Well, and I'll tell you, as a former county guy myself. Um, you know, we'll take credit for all the knowledge he's got from being on the county's planning commission. And that's what's going to make him so great as a uh, Colorado Springs City Council person. But I'm really excited today to hear what he has to say about, as you said, annexation rules, working with the new mayor and anything else that's on the horizon. Good. Let's go. Brian, thanks for being here today. Glad, glad to see you or happy to see you. Well, thanks for having me. I'm excited to uh, participate in the podcast. So you're uh, brand new to city council. Is it what you expected? That's a great question. I don't know that I knew what to expect. Um, you know, as a small business owner, I'm accustomed to making quick decisions and being able to move things forward um, pretty rapidly. One of the things I was incorrect in thinking is that we could move things quickly at uh, city government. Unfortunately, that's not how that works. Um, so that's been a, a maybe a bit of a disappointment, um, but uh, beyond that, I, I'm certainly um, feeling like I'm adding some value. Um, I've had people ask me if I'm enjoying it. I wouldn't say that I'm enjoying it necessarily, but it is definitely fulfilling. So, good, good. Um, any uh, anything surprise you like in the early going? Um, something you didn't expect, or just. Not knowing really what to expect, having never uh, been an elected official before, I just really didn't quite know what I was getting myself into, I suppose. Um, aside from just the pace at which things move, um, I don't know that there were any other uh, huge surprises. I'm just really, you know, trying to roll along with the, the process. And, and uh, it's been a good opportunity to apply a lot of the knowledge and, and uh, experience that I have in the rest of the, from other experience in the community to, to this. Well, you have had some experience, right? I mean, you sat on the El Paso County Planning Commission, so you kind of have, you know, at least an idea of how meetings run, how it works, kind of who the players in the community are, at least from a, a land use planning perspective. I, I assume that's correct, right? Absolutely. All of those things um, are definitely a natural fit. I mean, in terms of how to uh, participate in a meeting and and kind of the the Robert's rules of order and how things work on the dais. Uh, I feel very comfortable with that. And and I, to your point, Mark, I think nine years of being on the county planning commission and many years of other volunteer service on other uh, different boards and committees around the community uh, that all of that really led up nicely, although unintentionally, to uh, to being on city council. Um, so the other maybe back to the question about maybe surprises. Uh, I was 
not aware of how much support staff there really is uh, within legislative services. So just kind of the influx of information and, and the number of folks that we interact with just in City Hall uh, was sort of a surprise and certainly not something that I was accustomed to from um, volunteer days. Nice. Have you calculated your how much you're making per hour yet? Uh, <laughs> great 25 question. cents an hour it's uh yeah. if you're over a buck an hour then yeah, that's, that's probably good for this position so i of course didn't pursue this no one pursues this <laughs> for the pay um for me it really is about public service yeah. and the whole discussion of council pay is is uh, uh probably going to be a, a a topic here in the next um few months or years but um, I chose to donate my $6,250 or whatever it is to, uh, to charity. Oh, nice. And so for me, you yeah. know, it's, I, I'm. Yeah. And, and, and for our listeners, uh, city council members, Colorado Springs get paid almost nothing, $6,250 a year. And you probably put what 30, 40, 50 hours a week into being a, a city council member. Yes, I think a person could easily put that amount of time in. Um, again, having to balance my business and and you know personal endeavors, um, I'm probably spending thirty ish hours a week on uh, council and utilities business. Sometimes more, sometimes less, uh, but it's a balancing act because I'm yeah. spending easily as much time on on my business. So, um, but to your point, I mean, if you if you ran the math on that, what does thirty, forty, fifty hours look like if you're being paid six thousand dollars a year? Um, it really doesn't even cover the gas money. Well, and and I think the other thing it does, it, it says there are only a certain number of people that can have this job, right? It, it really eliminates a lot of people that might otherwise be qualified because they can't afford to do it. So you either have to be a small business owner, a lot of retired military people or older people that are retired become city council members. But it's really hard for somebody that, you know, is kind of in everyday life that has to you know, still work a job to put food on the table for their family to be able to run for a position like that. Yeah, absolutely. And and not only, uh, well, the other aspect of it is the schedule, right? So how you balance um, work schedule with council schedule, uh, even if people, even if pay wasn't an obstacle, very few people have the luxury of running kind of their own schedules, right? Dictating their own schedules. And for yeah. me, with the exception of um, being available when I need to for my clients, I tend to have a lot of freedom in, in my time. And most people don't have that luxury either. So I think that's another um, part of the discussion around how you attract other folks from the community to be a part of council um, beyond just pay. But to that point, I, I think you're exactly right, Mark. We There's a segment of our community that just it's a foregone conclusion that they will never be able to participate because uh, they they have to work a full-time job to put food on, on the table for their families. And so um, my thought on that sort of has shifted over time. I initially was of the opinion that um, we, if you're, if you're doing it for the right reasons, meaning wanting to be a, a public servant and really wanting to give back to the community, that pay shouldn't matter. Um, but the more I think about it, the more I'm kind of concluding that, you know, it doesn't have to be a hundred thousand or $150,000 a year, but if it was yeah. maybe the median, uh, wage of El Paso County, so whatever that is, 60, mm -hmm. 65,000, yeah. maybe that's a reasonable compromise. 
Um, but again, like I said, that's probably a conversation that will be had at some point. I'm glad to um, hear it's coming back up. I've always been a supporter of increasing that for those reasons that you guys were just talking about. I just think it opens up the door to a lot of other people that, that want to serve and would do a good job and all of that. Well, and, and if you look at it, you know, county commission, what they make about 130 or 40 grand a year now, it's one of the better paying, you know, from a, a an elected official perspective, it's one of the better paying offices out there. And so they, they actually get paid a living wage and you can really focus on the needs of the community at that point. You don't have to focus on trying to earn a living in addition to meeting the needs of the community. Uh, and it, it, it truly, if you do it correctly, if you do it right, I believe it is a full-time job. Yeah. yeah, those are excellent points. And and I would say the other interesting thing is this is the first time in a long time that we've had, you know, five current council members that, that are either small business owners or employed. So you've got, you know, Michael Malley, who works full-time, uh, Michelle Talrico owns a business, David Lineweber, myself, and Lynette Crow-Iverson just sold her business not too long ago, but is still pretty involved in it. Um, so that kind of speaks to where we were as a community 30, 40, 50 years ago when you had a lot of uh, landowners and, you know, uh, attorneys and folks that that mm -hmm. had businesses. Um, so I think it's an interesting shift that we're back to a point where there are a number of small business owners and folks that work full time. For me, it's again, it's about really understanding how to balance that. I don't, unfortunately, have time to go to every uh, ribbon cutting or graduation or right. retirement ceremony. Well, there's nine of you, so that's you can share that pretty well. So. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, and there, there. I mean, also the another huge demographic that ends up serving on council: a lot of retired military officers, which is great, and you want that perspective, but you know, maybe not an entire council of that. Fair enough. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I mean, yeah. I think having a more diverse yeah, uh, yeah. background. I'd say that as a, you know, former military member myself. Yeah. 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 So during the election, one of the obviously the kind of the, the biggest issue that was out there, probably more so in the mayoral race than the council races and everything, was this um what I call the water and annexation rule. I don't know if there's an official name for it or not, but this idea that what eventually got settled on was, uh, again, that the city has to have 128% of the water necessary to support everybody who's living in the community, businesses in the community, plus anything that wants to be annexed in the community. And so at that time, it prevented Amara from being uh, considered for annexation into the city. Um, and so I understand you guys might be talking about some adjustments to this. And so I'd love to know what, what you're talking about, how it might be adjusted, um, just to see going forward. Sure. So for city council, it really wasn't much of an issue during the election. To your point, Kyle, maybe more with the mayoral candidates. Even though council is the ones that have to. Even though, exactly. Yeah. Well, exactly. One of the mayoral candidates was the council member that voted for well, it. Well, right. Or, you know, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So what has happened as we kind of fast forward from the adoption of that ordinance to today uh, we've had a couple of test cases come through utilities where um, larger parcels of land 
are seeking annexation into the city. And what we are experiencing is the unintended consequences of that ordinance. So in other words, it was drafted, as you probably know, from the dais uh, very rapidly with not a lot of thought around the consequences and not a lot of thought around the implementation. And no disrespect to the prior council, um, I think they were trying to make a good decision and do the right thing for the community, but it was just done in such a fast way without a lot of stakeholder input and without really thinking through those, those consequences. So for example, um, there are, in my view, sort of two buckets of annexations. You've got ones that really have an impact in the community, meaning uh, larger acreages of land that, that will use water, um, that do have an impact on housing development and, and affordability and economic vitality. And then you've got a whole series of other annexations that are very technical in nature. So when El Paso County deeds over right of way, for example, to the city of Colorado Springs, the city has to accept that deed uh, via an annexation. So currently, when the county says, we want to give you this land and, and move a road from the county to the city, it has to come before utilities board for us to decide whether or not the water ordinance applies. Well, there is no water use in a yeah. right of way. There are no utilities associated with that annexation. Why would we spend staff time putting together a, re a report and why would we spend utilities board time reviewing a report and discussing an annexation that has zero impact on water or any other aspect of, of the community. So that's a prime example where I don't believe the utilities board needs to be involved whatsoever. And, yeah. and, for, and for our listeners, one of the kind of examples of that, or the example I always like to use is Mark Shuffle Boulevard. There was a, you know, for a while there, there's a stretch, county owns a stretch of it, city owns a stretch, county owns a stretch, and then maybe there's, you know, kind of multi-jurisdictional stretches along the way. And that really created a circumstance where you, know, you even have different standards of what's required for that road, whether it's in the county or in the city. And so you have this sort of hodgepodge of what that road looks like. And at the end of the day, that just needs to be owned by one entity. Absolutely, because it comes down to uh, who's maintaining it, who's plowing right. the snow, right? You've got the county plowing sections of snow and residents don't understand why, you know, the from, other sections are yeah. Yeah. right from yeah. Barnes to Stetson Hills. Yeah. It's not plowed. Well, it's because that's owned by the city and they haven't, you know, they haven't made it out there yet or whatever. And, but that's why those sort of technical uh, annexations need to happen to resolve issues like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Happens with development, too. When a new de development is built somewhere, um, oftentimes the developer owns the road for a period of time and mm -hmm. then and then deeds it over um, to the city or county. So those happen. Um, all the time, not just in Colorado Springs, but many, every other community, obviously. So that so that's one issue. Yep. The other piece of it is um, the twenty five percent contiguity rule. Um, so I don't know if, how familiar you are with the ordinance, but one of the things that Very. was written in there was that that in order to meet this this water ordinance requirement, that an annexation would have to be at least 25% continuous with the existing city uh, of Colorado Springs boundaries. And current state statute is 6%. Uh, it's one-sixth. Or one-sixth, I'm so sorry, one-sixth. One one-sixth, one-sixth. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So that's exactly right. In uh, This is now more restrictive mm -hmm. by saying one-fourth instead of one-sixth. Um, the, the problem with that, in my view, is twofold. First, that's a land use matter. Um, that is not a utilities matter. 
That's not something that utilities should be calculating or has really any purview over. And so my argument is that uh, we ought to, if we want to continue with a with a one quarter requirement, it ought to be moved into the right section of the city code. So utilities matters, utilities codes are in chapter 12, which is where this water ordinance was written. Uh, land use and annexation matters are in chapter seven. So again, why have the utilities department looking at a land use matter and calculating something that is not in their purview, not in their realm of expertise, um, that ought to be moved to the right place and, and put under the right um, um, sort of umbrella if we even have that requirement at all. And I'm personally of the opinion we really shouldn't because um, developers the, the intent is that it's going to prevent uh, flagpole development or a flagpole annexation. Yeah. Developers understand how this works, and we have a thing called serial annexations. So all you do is a math equation to mm -hmm. determine how you, how you divide that annexation up. And do it and progressively. Do it, do it progressively. So you start with a one-acre parcel, let's say, that meets the 25% or meets the one-sixth contiguity requirement and then you annex the next piece that's another let's say acre and then so on and so forth until you get enough conglomerated around the thing that you actually want to annex to meet that 25 percent or or uh, one-sixth or whatever um, so it's a loophole really doesn't do anything um, and that's one of the recent discussions with amara they are simply reworking their calculations to show 25% contiguity for, I think it's like 17 separate annexations to uh, to meet that requirement. Well, you know, one of the things that we constantly heard during that whole process um, from the former mayor, John Southers, he says, you know, listen, this needs to happen for water conservation. and And also, if we don't do this now, um, you know, one developer, Norwood, is going to end up doing a ballot initiative, and that'll be far worse. Uh, and I never really kind of understood either one of those arguments. Like, why, why do we need it now? What, what in current law would prevent us from being able to save water? Um, and why not? Hey, if this is what this developer wants to do, let them take their case to the people and, you know, um, will answer the way we think it needs to be answered. Yeah, I certainly can't explain the thought process that went in uh, behind the scenes to the ordinance that was put in place, but you touch on a, a few really important um, topics. One is that that the way it works right now is utilities calculates what they call the reliably met demand, which is the amount of water per year that they can provide to the city. They also calculate the current usage um, so the re reliably met demand or the amount of water they have to use is 95,000 acre feet a year. The amount that's actually being used is about 72,000 acre feet a year. The delta is what could be um, taken up by future annexations. So right now about 33% more. Correct. Yeah. The problem is that that's a snapshot in time. So as time progresses, Utilities is developing additional water resources. They're working with uh, ranchers and farmers in um, the Arkansas Valley Basin to uh, improve their irrigation systems and to um, buy shares of additional water rights uh, in the Arkansas Valley. So that 95,000 number is going to continue to increase for the foreseeable future. We don't know what the upper limit is, but uh, the current 
uh, water resource plan is in the 160,000 acre foot per year uh, range. Um, and, and the usage, of course, always uh, is variable and, and flexible. So although right now we're at 72,000 acre feet per year, um, with a very wet year like we're seeing right now, we're mm -hmm. running significantly below that. In drought times, we'll be probably quite a bit above that. Um, but the other interesting thing about it is that these new developments are going to be the most water efficient mm -hmm. in the community. Uh, the the new land use zoning and, and requirements uh, call for, for less water usage in these new communities. So in comparison to an older community that was built in the you know, 60s, 70s, 80s with a lot of heavy landscaping and a lot of mm -hmm. bluegrass that's using a lot of irrigation water, these new communities are, are not using that much water. The houses themselves, of course, are also much more uh, water efficient. So my point is that, and I've said this from the dais at Utilities Board, we really shouldn't be calculating uh, water usage Mm -hmm. Now we should be calculating it when taps are being sold because that is the point in time when we actually can understand what the usage will look like. Um, another way of saying it is that any, any development that comes into the community may project how many houses they're going to build, but with these larger developments, it takes 20, 30 years to build out and yeah. they respond to the market. Mm -hmm. So look at Briargate, right? It was projected to be much more dense than it actually built out because the market didn't substantiate that. They were projecting not only a lot more housing, but a lot more commercial activity in Briargate. Um, and so CSU may have planned accordingly. That didn't happen. Things change over time. That's my well, point. Well, I always thought though, with the with this annexation ordinance, it, council still votes. I mean, like, 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 let's assume that never happened, and you're a new council. You still get to vote on every annexation that comes in, and you still get to consider all of those criteria. It's in the review criteria that the lawyers put up uh, as you're considering an annexation, and you know one of the major criteria is what's good for the community, and and you know what. Um, uh, annexing something in that is going to uh, be detrimental to um, other water users down the road is not good for the community. So the council already had all of the tools at their ready to be able to make good, responsible decisions. That's exactly right. And I would argue that by having to run this through utilities board first, you're really getting the cart before the horse. So you're having a what should be a focused discussion about a singular topic, which, by the way, is a calculation, a yes or no. This is not, you know, something that requires political debate or policy, right? It's it's does it meet 128 percent or not? Um, so so why have a very narrow, supposedly very narrow, very focused conversation at the beginning of the process when we haven't even had the conversation around the the philosophical piece of it is this good for the community does it meet our needs does it meet our priorities um as as a current council we haven't even talked about what our priorities for growth are so that's the other heartburn i have is that we're talking about the wrong things in the wrong forums at the wrong time um, and to your point mark all of those things really do get fleshed out not just at city council but at the planning commission um, in due time. I equate it or use the analogy that this is like, would you take an, a, an annexation to the, the Parks Advisory Board and ask the Parks Advisory Board, is this a good annexation? Should we say yes to this or not? 
that's the wrong, you mm-hmm. know, yeah. you have that conversation in a holistic fashion somewhere down the track, not the first conversation. Um, so it's, I think it's very convoluted. And the other piece of it that is a problem with the ordinance, the way it's currently written, is that utilities board is just recommending approval that it move forward. Well, if utilities board doesn't recommend approval, it can still move forward just without that recommendation. And I would think you would find most developers would probably choose to continue moving forward um, just to, again, go to the right venues to flesh out all of the other issues that come along with, with annexation. So for Amara to be able to now qualify, there's part of this is that sort of that sequential annexation loophole that you were talking about. That's one thing. Is the rainfall and the lower usage upping that percentage to like 133%? Is that also what helped them kind of fit this window right now? They demonstrated that their current um, master plan, if you will, or concept plan is below the 128% threshold. So okay. so they've, they've demonstrated that what they plan to build, and again, they may change their minds over time. The market may dictate something else, but for the discussion at this snapshot in time, um, they were able to demonstrate that they that they meet that buffer. Have there been any discussions about lowering the 128, or is everybody comfortable with that? I think I've had conversations with utility staff about that uh, to gauge, first of all, where did that number come from? And second of all, are they comfortable with it, or or is that something that might be open for negotiation. Um, I think by and large, they want to be very conservative. They want to make sure that we really do have enough water to serve our community for the foreseeable future, which is commendable and certainly the right answer. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think when pressed on the matter, they feel like that's probably a little overly conservative. Um, I don't want to speak for everybody at utilities, but I get the sense that that's Maybe a little. Um, yeah. So it might be up for discussion at some point. I think it is. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, that's a question. And overall, not just the 128%, but but what about the annexation ordinance, you know, holistically? Is that going to be up for discussion? Are you going to revisit that um, as a city council at some point? That's a great question. I am encouraging my fellow council members to, to take this up. I think there's concern over the optics and what it looks like for for our community that, you know, are people going to, uh, this was a very hotly contested topic. I think some council members are a little bit reluctant to um, intentionally tackle a, a hot topic. <laughs> I don't blame them. Um, but I believe that this is a, such an important issue that it's worth spending the political capital and worth uh, worth tackling. Well, and, and the frustration at the times, yeah, as you said, it's a very, very, very complicated issue. There's a lot of moving parts that go into this. And one of the complaints that, you know, loads of people had in the community, to, in, to include me and, and Kyle, was, listen, stakeholder process. This should have been stakeholded by a large group of people to come up with uh, the right resolutions here. And it seemed like something that was just um, pushed through in the waning days of the Southers administration. I t- tend to agree with that. And I think in my conversations with the HBA, for example, um, they feel like they were not engaged in the stakeholder process. And I think uh, if I've had conversations with them about what recrafting this um, ordinance might look like, and I believe building that that consensus and support is really important. Um, 
the other thing that I think the community needs to really understand is that if growth, we know that Colorado Springs, this region is going to continue to grow, right? Everybody talks a lot about what a great place this is to live. I think we've seen a lot of national um, coverage on, uh, you know, top five for college graduates, top three places to visit, all, you know, all those kinds of stats. Um, so knowing that we're going to grow as a region, I think it, it really becomes a question of how do we want to grow? And I make the argument that if we don't annex into the city and if we don't grow within Colorado Springs utilities, we're going to have all of these developments that continue to be built in the county on non-renewable groundwater. And so big picture, what is really the right answer? Is it is it right? Is it better to build in the county on non-renewable groundwater? Or is it better to build in the city with Colorado Springs utilities using renewable water, meaning renewable sources, right? right? Snow always falls. We always get moisture from the mountains. Well, it, I was going to say to that, I, I mean, I, I said that for years and years and years when I was on the county commission. Um, density development doesn't belong in the county. I mean, that's just not how our zoning works. It's not how our... Um, you know, even how snowplows work, for example, you know, our snowplows aren't designed for, you know, narrower uh, streets with a lot of density on them. It's for, you know, big stretches of road. Uh, and so I always said that county wasn't that form of governance, right? It wasn't for this density developments. And that is something that was much better served being in a, a, a municipal government, whether it's Colorado Springs or Monument or somewhere else. Right. Yeah. I agree. I mean, I think you're making a great point that it's when you get into those discussions, it's beyond just water and utilities. It's about um, those bigger picture conversations and sort of philosophical conversations about what is the right answer and how do we want to move forward. Yeah. So oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to go back to your um, your other your your question about discussing this at city council and, and just maybe talk a little bit about the process if I could. Sure. Um, so just yesterday, we had a meeting uh, at the Car Springs Utilities um, Strategic Planning Committee, which is, as the name implies, the committee that looks at long-range planning for utilities. And I am the chair of that uh, committee, and I brought forward this this conversation about modifications to um, to this water ordinance and and some things that I can that I see that we can clean up pretty easily to make some procedural changes and simplify things for everybody involved. Um, we had a very robust and a very good conversation. We're going to come back next month with another follow up conversation at strategic planning, um, assuming that that committee believes we ought to move forward. Uh, we will present. Um, whatever changes we're recommending to the utilities board, which then eventually could kick it over to city council for further discussion uh, there and, and possibly a, a, you know, a motion to change the ordinance. So I just want to hit on that point. Yeah, in terms no, of thanks. Process. Are there any other, besides Amara, are there any other large developments that are considering annexation? There are. We in May uh, heard large by comparison, 400 and some odd acres, uh, the Mayberry uh, annexation oh, yeah. off Bradley Road. Yep. Um, I don't recall the exact number of housing units, but a couple hundred housing units and some commercial development as well. So I would consider that a, a pretty significant one. Yeah. Um, there is also a very large annexation out by Shriver Air Force Base that we anticipate seeing here within the next few months, um, possibly uh, as early as September or October. Um, which will also be, I think, um, 
fairly controversial just because of the size and scale. Who's the developer behind that one? That's uh, the O'Neill Group. The O'Neill Group. Okay. So in kind of switching gears here, um, you know, I, we love talking about annexation because that seems to be the <laughs> topic du jour. But hey, we have a, you know, it's not just city council that runs city government, right? We have a, a strong mayor and a, a new mayor's office. So from council's perspective, tell us about uh, Yemi Mobilade and uh, being the new mayor and, and how he's interacting with council and how things are going that way. Sure. I've had the benefit of knowing Yemi for um, quite a few years um, and that I believe has been a really great jumping off point for some collaboration between um, his office and certainly myself. Um, I think there were a few council members who were a little bit concerned about um, what he might want to do and how he might shake things up. Um, I think they were a little um, settled when they saw the the hundred day plan that uh, that the mayor had issued. Um, I think we, we've had several really good conversations, you know, Mayor Southers started the tradition of coming over to lunch on our regular, uh, meeting days on Tuesdays and, uh, Mayor Mobilade is continuing that. So he's been over a couple of times now. Um, I get the sense that there's just a lot of really good, um, camaraderie and, and collaboration. I think as, as a council, we're certainly very excited and, and very interested in working with him and his new staff. Um, you know, we'll see how it kind of shakes out, but we've had a couple of fairly significant, um, discussions already that I see some, some good alignment for sure, uh, nice. between I, I, the, that's good to see. Cause he ran on that, obviously the, the wanting to collaborate and bring the community together and everything. So it's, it's good to see that that's happening. Um, what are some of the big issues coming down the road for you guys? Well, you've probably heard a little bit about it, uh, the police training academy that has been proposed and the potential uh, Tabor ballot amendment to retain uh, Tabor dollars to help pay for part of that. Yeah. Um, is it like a one-time Tabor retention or is that, you know, debrucing to be able to keep them in perpetuity? What the mayor has suggested, and he spoke about this uh, last week at our uh, council meetings, was the idea of a one-time uh, Tabor retention, and they've estimated it to be about $5 million. Sure. And, and which is, by the way, something that Mayor Southers did numerous times yeah. uh, in his time uh, as, as the mayor of Colorado, in, or in his eight years as mayor of Colorado Springs. Exactly. And I think, you know, my counsel to Mayor Mobilade has been uh, sort of two comments on that. One, in the spirit of things like PPRTA and 2C and some other uh, things that have been very successful in the community, I've said, be very specific about what we're asking for. Be very clear yeah. on how we're going to get from point A to point B, um, because if if we don't do that, it's very difficult in this community to try to get any support behind any kind of a tax initiative. Exactly. And the mayor yeah. has been very open to that, so I, I think that's a, a good good thing. Yeah. I, I've always thought if if um, to your point, if voters understand how their money is being spent and they know where it's going. And they think those are justifiable expenses of government monies. They'll support those kinds of increases. Exactly. And I think public safety is at the top of the list for so many residents. And if we can demonstrate that a training academy will um, improve the quality of service that the police department can provide, if it will in, uh, increase the retention of police officers and if it will help to obviously get them uh, trained up and, and on, um, on board faster, I think all of those resonate with the community. Um, I've asked quite a few friends, uh, both conservative and a little bit more 
um, liberal about whether they would support um, some sort of a Tabor retention. And it's interesting that the majority of them, uh, regardless of their sort of background or, or political affiliation, uh, view public safety as a top concern and have said they would like the opportunity well, to vote on that. And yeah. Crime's up 17% uh, in our community right now from last year. Violent crime up 34%. Yeah, exactly. And I think people are very uh, cognizant of that. And that's frankly one of the things that could um, damage our reputation as a great city to uh, to move to and to live in. Yeah, Is there anything that we haven't covered, anything that you want to talk about? Tell um our audience, uh, potential voters. I know you're four years away from uh, your your next election. Hopefully you're going to run again. But is, is there anything we haven't covered that you want to discuss further? Well, first of all, to the potential voters, I obviously didn't, uh, as, as a novice in the political world, I, I'm not politically motivated. Um, I'm thankful that I was elected, but I'm certainly not uh, um, here to seek future elections or seek future uh, political uh, wins. I, I am very much committed to making what I believe are good decisions for our community. And if I upset some people along the way, I'm willing to take the heat for that. Uh, but I, I really am focused on, uh, you know, on really doing the right thing for the community. I've had people say, well, if you if you say that, you might, you know, you might upset some some voters or you might, you know, might not win brownie points with the political establishments. And I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in making good decisions for the right reasons. Well, and, and, and I'll tell you, I actually, I, I, I believe that and I appreciate that. I, I think, you know, when we look at um, the past administration, past city councils, it, it, it was absolutely no question who was in charge. I mean, the, the mayor certainly ruled the city and council went where the mayor told him to go, uh, where the mayor told them to go. Um, what I've seen with this new administration, I think that Maybe Mayor Mobilati is a little bit less aggressive, um, and by a little bit, I mean a lot less aggressive than the former mayor was in um, uh, demonstrating that power. Um, but in addition to that, it seems to me this council uh, is uh, a lot more sure-footed on its own and says, you know what, we're going to be this independent body that's going to operate independent of the mayor's office, and hopefully we're going to agree with them and get along and collaborate and do things well. But you know what? When we don't, we're going to stand our ground. That's exactly right. And we've had conversations not as a whole council, but certainly as, as you know, individuals, one-on-one uh, -on -one conversations around the powers that city council truly does have. And, of course, we want to work collaboratively with the mayor's office and we want to be uh, good partners with city administration. But, Mark, to your point if and when we need to flex our muscle as council, um, this is a group of folks that I think is willing to do that, and you'll see do that. Uh, the beauty here is that we don't perceive that we'll ne have much need in that because I really do believe that Mayor Mobilade and his staff um, will be collaborative and will be very transparent and very uh, interested in, in working hand-in-hand um, -hand for the benefit of the city. But uh, if there are issues that we as a council feel really strongly about, we are not afraid at all to stand up and, and speak our minds and, and uh, do what we believe is right for the, for the community. That's good to hear. Well, we really appreciate you being here. Hopefully here at some point you'll be able to join us again as other issues come up and 
help us understand some of the things going on at the city. But again, I know I was happy to see you get elected. So um, I'm, I'm glad you're on council. Um, well, well, and- I, I wasn't. <laughs> I didn't want to see you leaving the planning commission. No, I'm kidding. Uh, obviously, super happy that uh, uh, you were elected as well. Yeah, yeah so I uh, really appreciate you being here today. This has been great. Well, thanks. Thanks, both of you, for uh, for having me here, and I'm glad that I was able to participate. And, yeah, it was a bittersweet day when I had to resign from the planning commission. Uh, I had lost track of how long I had served, but uh, it was really cool. Um, Kami Bremer, Commissioner Bremer, gave me a, 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 a plaque, basically, that listed out all the various roles in which I served as an associate member initially, wow. and then a regular member, and then vice chair and chair. And over that span of time, we um, we passed a, a water master plan. We put in place the first El Paso County wide master plan ever, um, as you very well know, Mark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it was uh, it was really amazing, frankly, to see all of the things that I had been involved with that that I kind of had lost track of over over the span of nine years, but that um, still really resonates as, as probably one of my uh, most um, proud, if you will, sure. uh, involvements in, in the community. Well, so. it, you know, and as a former county commissioner, I hope that's hanging in your office in the city. It is. <laughs> <laughs> Very <laughs> good. That's awesome. <laughs> Proudly. So. Well, okay. thanks. Yeah, thanks. Council Member Risley, we really appreciate having you here. And uh, again, thanks for all you're doing for the community. My pleasure. Thank you. Well, that was uh, that was fun talking to Brian today. Boy, what an incredibly smart guy! I think uh, this is probably one of the more informative uh, podcasts that we've done to this point. Uh, just he had so much information to give us and so much useful information. Yeah, I for somebody who's only been on council for a few months, um, his understanding of kind of the rules and policies and procedures and how they go about things and ideas on how to improve them. Uh, pretty impressive. Yeah, I, I was incredibly impressed with just how how well thought out um, all of the issues are that he's currently working on. Yeah, yeah, me too. And uh, so I hopefully we'll have him back on from time to time. And um, I, I think he'll be a, a good source for us. Yeah, for sure. You know, I, I think there are a lot of times, uh, you know, new elected leaders take over. They've got a lot of ideas on what they want to do. They don't know how to do it. And maybe some of the things that they talk about during the election aren't really realistically able to be implemented. But boy, I didn't get that sense with Brian at all. Everything that he's looking at doing now is, you know, eminently doable, uh, incredibly achievable and good responsible stuff for the governance of the city of Colorado Springs. Yeah. He didn't seem to have the same kind of learning curve that I expect a lot of new council members to have. So impressive. Yeah. Very good. So, uh, anything, uh, anything on your mind this week, Mark, anything pissing you off this week? Well, I, I got to tell you, uh, Kyle, surprisingly, there isn't anything that, uh, I have to rant about today. Nothing's really pissing me off right now. Uh, but I'm sure that'll change as time moves on. You know, I mean, obviously we got some of the, uh, <laughs> indictments of former President Trump, you know, and whether you believe he did stuff or didn't believe he did stuff, you know, I've always thought weaponization of the criminal justice system is an absolutely abhorrent thing to engage in. And so I'm I'm sorry to see it being used that way, even, you know, if he has done some of the things that people have accused him of. It it seems to me that, um, you know, engaging in this kind of behavior for electoral purposes is, is, is really wrong. 
All but right. other than that, no, I nothing uh, locally is making me mad. Well, interesting. We don't have a lot of issues this week, so that's good. <laughs> that's good. Thanks for listening, everybody. A- apparently, the therapy's working. Thank you for listening to We Have Issues. Special thanks to our producer, Ted Robertson. I'm Kyle. And I'm Mark. And boy, you're right. We have issues. Tune in next week for even more. <laughs>